Well, the way I look at it is the the best water to be saved is the water you don't have to use. And so what we're really looking is uh, increasing the available water capacity within the soil itself. And so that comes with a bunch of different soil goals that we've set for ourselves. And that main goal is just increasing the organic matter. You know, soil scientists report that about for every 1% of organic matter content, the soil can hold 16,000 to 20,000 gallons of gallons of water for plant available storage. INCAT's headquarters in Butte, Montana has a complicated growing climate, to say the least. And that makes John Wallace's job as manager of INCAT's small-scale intensive farm training program, or SIFT Farm, challenging as well. In this episode of Voices from the Field, John talks with INCAT energy analyst Victorian Smart about the SIFT Farm's strategy for conserving water. Since the farm is located in what is essentially a high mountain desert and relies on city water, those strategies are essential, as is increasing organic matter in its decomposed granite soil. Let's listen. Hello, everyone. My name is Victorian Smart. I am an energy analyst in the Energy Services Department at the National Center for Appropriate Technology. And today I am here with John Wallace, Sustainable Agriculture Specialist, also at the National Center for Appropriate Technology. And today I'm going to be talking with him about his SIFT water conservation strategies. So welcome, John. Thank you for joining me. Thank you. First off, can you just give the listeners a quick background of the SIFT farm? Yeah, so I'm a sustainable agriculture specialist with National Center for Appropriate Technology. And I one of my jobs is I work at the SIFT demonstration farm. And this is a small-scale intensive farm training program where we teach community members about soil regenerative practices, uh, growing your own local healthy food, and how to grow in this region. Um, this region specifically is quite unique in the fact that uh, we're in a high mountain desert and we get 40 to 50 degree temperature swings during the summer. Um, our average rainfall is only 12.6 inches and we're working on a soil type that's decomposed granite. This causes a lot of issues just within itself because decomposed granite doesn't hold water well. Water will travel well through it, but it won't actually be held in the root zone for very long. And so relying on natural precipitation is not really an option for us. So that being said, we are irrigating and uh, we're irrigating with city water. And that's something to point out. City water is quite costly. And so anything that we can do to limit our use of water uh, will have pretty substantial effects on our final bottom line cost. Okay, so let's just dive right into it. Um, what actions are you currently taking in order to conserve water on the SIFT farm? Well, the way I look at it is the, the best water to be saved is the water you don't have to use. And so what we're really looking is uh, increasing the available water capacity within the soil itself. And so that comes with a bunch of different soil goals that we've set for ourselves. And that main goal is just increasing the organic matter you know, soil scientists report that about for every 1% of organic matter content, the soil can hold 16,000 to 20,000 gallons of gallons of water for plant available storage. We do this by building up cover crops. Um, that's probably our main, our main uh, way to attack this. And so the purpose of our cover crops are to create a bunch of plant residue that can break down into the ground and increase the organic matter in that way. We do a couple different tests on this. Because our, our uh, growing season is so short, it takes quite a bit of time for that plant residue to actually break down in our soil. And so what we've been doing is we've been tilling up the ground in the spring to plant our cover crop. 
And then half of a plot we actually till up in the fall to try to mix that uh, plant residue into the ground. It's kind of counterintuitive because what we're looking at is how the uh, tillage is actually going to be decomposing some of the residue, but at the same time, it, it kind of breaks down some of the fungal matter and other soil properties that we are trying to grow. So looking at that, we've uh, made a couple different measures to, to try to get that. Sometimes we'll come in and we'll actually either cut that plant residue with either a flail mower, or sometimes we'll roller crimp it down to the ground. And roller crimping is great because that plant residue actually folds over and can be uh, a mulch. And um, anytime you can limit the bare soil, you're going to be keeping water in the ground and storing it and limiting evapotranspiration. So those are our biggest goals. And I've heard about several different types of irrigation technologies out there. And I know that some are more popular than others. What types of irrigation are you using on the SIPT farm? Well, our main tool for, for conserving water is using micro-irrigation. So we're talking about drip tape, misters, drip emitters, where we're only delivering the water to that root zone directly. Um, this can kind of help out with uh, limiting weed pressure because you're not watering the whole soil just where that plant is growing. So micro-irrigation has a lot of positive effects in, in conserving water, but it also has some cons in the fact that you can't germinate specific crops like carrots very well in our soil. Because those drips are only coming out so many inches, it's not going to be able to germinate uh, a seed that you might see, you know, say, every one or two inches apart. So it does have its limitations, and that's where we bring in overhead sprinklers. Overhead sprinklers are not very efficient. You're losing a lot of water to evaporation. You're watering more than just the roots. But there are some positive effects. Uh, it can wash salts through the profile of the soil, which we get a lot of buildup in our high tunnels. You know, this is usually calcium, but that can lead to effects like blossom end rot in our squash. And it can also cause splashes of uh, soil-borne diseases to kind of run up the plant. And so you can actually spread fungal diseases such as blight or septoria leaf spot or some of the issues we've had. And also it increases the uh, powdery mildew on some plants. And so it, it can be good when you're using it to get things established, but it doesn't seem to be the answer as far as conserving water. Okay, that makes sense. That's interesting to hear the difference in the two and how they both have benefits and, and downsides. So in terms of water conservation, it sounds like that micro-irrigation is a good investment and a good way to go as a whole. Where can I purchase micro-irrigation equipment and how much would it cost to build a system? You can get some simple little pieces like mainline and some emitters, you know, even at your, your hardware store. But to get a full system working, um, it's much more cost effective just to go online. You know, there's companies like Dripworks and Drip Depot, um, and they can e they can even sell you full kits. And so, depending on what your size is, it can be probably a more efficient way to go. For instance, a small kit which can irrigate 10, 20 foot rows uh, sells for about $160, and that'll include your water timer, 200 feet of drip tape. Uh, filter, PSI regulator, which those are important uh, just to make sure if you get any dirt through the lines, it keeps anything from from uh, blocking the emitters. They'll come with all the drip tape fittings and the punches and the hold down stakes. Um, hold down stakes are important. Uh, when it comes to drip tape, they tend to walk. So when it gets full pressure, 
um, and then releases pressure, they will kind of like pick up and move. And so if you don't have them staked down, you're going to have that line walk away from your plant. And so you're not going to get full irrigation across the whole row. That's an issue that we probably have to walk through every two days and just kind of line everything back out. So that's one of the cons to micro irrigation. But, you know, if you get all the right equipment, then you'll be sitting yourself in a pretty good position. Uh, that's why I like using some of these kits. Other things like misters, which we use for our plant starts in the greenhouse, uh, they just really effectively water without too much pressure coming down onto the soil, which, you know, if you have small seeds and things like that, sometimes they can get washed out. And so I really like those hurricane emitters. And then also sometimes for our, we have a outside hedgerow and we, to get that established, we ran just drip emitters. So it's just putting a little drip every few seconds, just right down to the root zone. So when you scale these things up, the, the return on your investment comes in quite quickly. You know, for that small, uh, small kit, which is only 10, 20 foot rows, if you increase your farm to say, you know, two acres, the way that the pricing works with, with your water bills, it, it puts you up to the next tier. So you're paying more per gallon when you start using more amounts. And so by using these types of conservation strategies, really cut down on your water bills and really get a better return on your investment. Even though it's a, it is a pricey initial investment at first, it definitely has its cost saving. Yeah, thanks for that explanation. That's that's really good to know. I mean, we live in a really dry area, so how has how has drought been a factor in growing over the last couple of years? It's been hard on the plants, obviously, mainly because what we look at are cold tolerant varieties that are short to maturity. And so when you actually have this extreme heat lasting entire summer, I was looking at some of the data from WeatherSpark and uh, which is a, a great resource if you ever want to look, you know, in your area, it, you can see way more than just precipitation over time, but you can look at things such as uh, amount of cloud cover, you know, big temperature swings, wind, which are all attributing to drought. And so by looking at all this data, you can kind of see more than just the lack of water, but, you know, extended periods of drought that are really pulling reserves of water from deep within the soil. So are you able to quantitatively measure the water that you use? Yeah, so we're actually able to uh, see in real time in 15 minute intervals uh, what, what our water use is, which is which can be quite handy. But, you know, when it comes to actual uh, management strategies, it doesn't really have the greatest effect. Um, really just setting yourself a good uh you know, timing cycles. I usually like to set my, my cycles to seven or 15 minutes uh, twice a day. It seems like more often watering is better for the plants than just maybe once a day. And so 15 minutes is kind of the outside and seven minutes are things like in the greenhouses where you kind of collecting some of that evapotranspiration and it's coming back down to the soil. So we're, we're able to see our real-time use. And then we're also able to look at all of our water bills. And that's a better comparison to really understand what, what your bottom line's hitting. You know, for instance, in 2016, we used uh, 500,000 gallons uh, versus last year, we only used 131,000 gallons. Um, and this is really evident of just fixing the efficiency problems in your system. Uh, there's a major need for us to reduce watering in July, August, and September. And uh, those are our highest watering months. And that's when we're getting high up on the watering 
tier. So they're charging us more per gown at that point. And so what we really want to do is keep those levels as low as possible without sacrificing any benefit from, from watering in our yield. So that's what we've been really working hard on doing. And by increasing the efficiency of it, we've actually managed to grow our yields quite a bit. And we're also irrigating more and more row feet. So we're growing more, but using less. And I think that's, I think that's the goal that everyone wants to hear. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, it sounds like the, the future of the SIF farms water use is, is looking pretty good. Yeah. You know, it is. We had one one issue last year where we, we did have a little drop in yield and we're looking at how much we saved in water. And we're wondering if maybe we should have been using a little bit more in the months of June to bounce things out. We have set goals by, by looking at these water bills of what we need to be using and what when we're overwatering. So there's a lot of different ways to measure measure how much water you're using and whether you're overwatering. And sometimes it's not so much by looking at the gowns. It's by looking at plant stress and really analyzing the soil. Uh, you can use a Paul Brown probe where you kind of insert into the ground. You can feel it, uh, how far it goes deep. And that's usually where the water saturation level is. You can also find hard pans in your soil by using a tool like that. But I really like just using a shovel. And when you use the shovel, you can dig out a hole. You can see how far deep the roots are going and you can really see how well the, the water is infiltrating and see those different layers of either hard pack or clay or whatever it may be in your specific soil type. So that's the big deal is just keeping your eye on the soil itself and looking at the plants. You know, it's great to have all this quantitative data, but when droughts are getting as extreme as they are, we know we have to increase our watering, but we need to know what the plant needs rather than just how much more water is going to cost. So, you know, that going forward, we're really hoping to, to kind of level out about 150,000 gallons per year. That will keep us in a really, really good zone where our water bills are nearly half of what they've been in the past. I mean, some years we've hit almost $3,000 uh, just for water. And this last year, we've been under 1,000. And we want to kind of keep it in that area without sacrificing any yield. So, you know, when these extreme droughts come through, um, we will be out there watering especially adding excess water for, for little pockets sometimes that the micro-irrigation system doesn't quite reach. That's where we'll pull out our overhead water and kind of add water in sufficient manners. It, it really matters, you know, what your crop's needs are is going to be completely dependent on where it's growing. So for instance, you know, we have in one high tunnel, we were growing cool tolerant varieties of brassicas. And then in the other high tunnel, we were growing cucumbers and squash. And so there's a massive difference in, in the water needs for those types of plants. And so we were able to put up a, a row cover on one of the high tunnels. And that cut down on a lot of the evaporation from the ground that we actually had to remove that high tunnel from that zone and, and then water it on its own. So you have to make little adjustments here and there. Nothing's going to be completely consistent, especially when you're making decisions to grow you know, heat tolerant crops versus cold tolerant crops and changing your farm plan throughout the year to match the environment. Well, John, thank you so much for your time today and talking about uh, water conservation on the SIFT farm. It sounds like your improvements have set the stage for success out there on the farm, and I'm looking forward to hearing how this year's growing season goes. Yeah, thank you, Victoria. I hope that uh, all of our listeners will you know, learn some things about really making a management plan to help them conserve water on their own farm. That's it for this episode. Thanks for listening. Additional information about this episode and related resources can be found at atra.incat.org.
Don't miss an episode. Subscribe to Voices from the Field wherever you get your podcasts. I'm your host, Rich Myers. ATRA, Voices from the Field, is produced by the National Center for Appropriate Technology, headquartered in Butte, Montana. It's supported by the USDA Rural Business Cooperative Service as part of NCAT's ATRA Sustainable Agriculture Program. Any opinions, findings, conclusions, or recommendations expressed in this recording are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of the USDA or NCAT. We'll catch you again next week, and until then, keep on farming.